0: Monsieur
1: Poirot? Is that you, Monsieur Poirot?
0: Myself in person, madame.
1: This is Ariadne Oliver. Can you hear me? It's a terrible line. I
0: hear you perfectly, madame. You are well, I hope.
1: I haven't got time for the social niceties. I need you.
0: You need me?
1: Yes, I need you here at once.
0: But what is all this about, madame? This
1: telephone is in rather an awkward place. People passing through all the time. I'll tell you when you get here. Uh, Take the 12 o'clock from Paddington. You can do that nicely.
0: But it is a quarter past 11. Lots
1: of time. I'll arrange for someone to pick you up from Nassaucombe Station. You have to change at Exeter. And bring you up here to the house. Everyone will be thrilled to hear your coming.
0: After a journey of one hundred and eighty-two miles on a train that was in urgent need of retirement and a drive through narrow, twisting Devon lanes, I came to Nass House, a big, white Georgian building looking out across a broad river to a distant view of Dartmoor. And there, sitting on the terrace, was Ariadne Oliver, eating an apple.
1: I knew you'd come.
0: (laughs) Cher Madame. Ah. I have been asking myself why, ever since your telephone call. Oh, I know why. Curiosity. Mm. Your famous woman's intuition has perhaps for once not led you too far astray. (laughs) So, tell me, what are you doing here at this delightful house?
1: I'm organizing a murder.
0: A murder?
1: Oh, not a real one. A murder hunt. You know, rather like a treasure hunt. They offered me such a very substantial fee, I couldn't resist it.
0: I do not think I have ever encountered such a thing. How does it work?
1: Well, there has to be a victim, of course, and clues, and suspects. Half a crown to enter, and you get shown the first clue. After that you have to find the victim and the weapon and say who done it. And there are prizes, of course. It's meant to be the star attraction of the Nass House fate. And it is to assist you in arranging all this that you have sent for me. No oh, no, I've done all that. Everything's set for tomorrow. All you have to do is to give away the prizes. But that isn't why I asked you to come down. I had quite another reason.
0: Oh? What reason, madame? I
1: dare say I'm simply imagining it. But I think there's something wrong.
0: In what
3: way?
1: That's what I want you to find out. Ever since I set foot in this place, I've felt that I've been jockeyed along, Mm. manoeuvred, so to speak. Call me a fool if you like, but I can only say if there were to be a real murder tomorrow instead of a fake one, I shouldn't be at all surprised. I know you think I go on about a woman's intuition,
0: Ah, but one calls things by different names. I can easily understand that something or someone has awakened in you a feeling of unease, but can you explain to me what you mean by being jockeyed along?
1: Well, it's rather difficult. You see, this is my murder, so to speak. I'd planned it all out, like the way I work out the plots of my books. And if you know anything about writers, you realise they can't stand suggestions. Oh, people say, splendid, but wouldn't it be better if so-and-so did so-and-so? Or wouldn't it be better if the murderer were A instead of B?
0: And that is what has been happening?
1: Of course I may be imagining it all. But I don't think I am.
0: But who has been making these suggestions to you?
1: To be perfectly honest, I can't really remember. Different people. If it was just one person, I'd be more sure of my ground. Although... Perhaps it really is one person working through others, and they're not aware of it.
0: And have you any idea who this person might be?
1: No, I haven't really. It might be anybody.
4: Ah, so the great man has arrived at last.
1: Oh, yes, he has. <laughs> uh, Sir George, uh, this is Monsieur Poirot. Uh, Sir George stops. How do you do? Know?
4: Mr. <laughs> We're so glad Mrs. Oliver persuaded you to come. Quite a brainwave on her part. <laughs> well, I hope I shall live up to your expectations, Sir George. Oh, you'll be an enormous attraction. Well, I mustn't stay here talking. I've got to have a word with Miss Brewis. Trouble about the jam and marmalade store.
0: Uh, see you
1: at tea. I think perhaps we should go off on a little walk around the grounds. Mm-hmm. The moment Sir George spreads the news that you've arrived, we shan't have a moment to ourselves. <laughs> this way. Ah.
0: And uh, who are the other people who are involved in the fete?
1: Well, there's uh, Lady Stubbs, of course, Hattie. She's about 20 years younger than Sir George. Grew up in the West Indies or somewhere like that. Beautiful, but, uh, well, sometimes she seems to be positively (laughs) half-witted. Married him for his money, of course, and doesn't think about anything but clothes. uh. Then there's a chap called Michael Wayman. He's a young architect who's building a tennis court for Sir George and repairing the folly. The folly? A kind of temple thing with columns. You can just see it over there, through the trees. Uh It was where the murder was to be committed in my original plan, but apparently it isn't safe. And it was only built a couple of years ago put up in too much of a hurry and in the wrong place, Michael Wayman says. And uh, then there's Miss Brewis. Ah,
0: The woman, Sir George, wanted to consult about the marmalade (laughs) stall. He consults her about
1: everything. She's a kind of a general factotum, very grim and efficient. And then there's a young couple who've taken a little house down by the river, Alec Legg and his wife Sally. He's rather detached and moody and keeps himself to himself. Sally's full of life, very attractive. <laughs> I think Sir George rather fancies her. And old Mrs Folliat, of course. Her people used to own Nass House, but they died out or killed in the war or something, and she had to sell the place to Sir George. He's stinking rich, but frightfully stupid outside business. Oh, we turn off here and uh, go down to the river. Oh. I want to show you the boathouse... That's going to be the scene of the crime.
0: A very sad, neglected looking place. No one uses it now, I take it.
1: Well, I don't exactly see Sir George messing about in boats. <laughs> Still less ladies stubs. But it's no common or garden boat house. It was put up in the sixteenth century. Sir Walter Raleigh used to sneak off here to smoke his pipe.
0: And who is the intended victim in your murder game?
1: Well, she's a girl hiker who is really the Yugoslavian first wife of a young atom scientist. No, don't look at me like that. It was really quite simple to start with. And
0: the atom scientist is the murderer?
1: Actually, she's killed by the country squire.
0: Oh, and who is going to play the part of the dead body? I am.
1: (laughs) Marlene, where on earth did you spring from? I just got back from guides. I wanted to see where the deadly deed was going to be done. (laughs) Marlene has kindly taken over the role of the murder victim. Sally Legg was originally going to do it, but Sir George wanted her to dress up as a gypsy and tell fortunes. So Marlene agreed to take her place.
5: But, But I'm not going to have any blood on me. Just strangled with a cord, that's all. Are you the famous detective?
0: I am, Mademoiselle.
5: Seen lots of murders, have you?
0: Mm-hmm. One or two.
5: Any sex maniacs? I like reading about sex maniacs.
0: You would probably not enjoy meeting one.
5: Oh, I don't know. My granddad saw a body in the woods once. He was scared and ran away, and when he came back, it was gone. It was a woman's body without any clothes on.
1: Do you think it was a sex maniac, done it? We'd better be getting back to the house... Are you sure you'll be all right tomorrow, Marlene? It'll be rather boring for you stuck in here by yourself all afternoon until someone finds you. I shan't be bored.
5: I'm looking forward to being a horrible corpse. Oh, do you think I could have a few comics and some fashion magazines?
0: As we approached the gardens of Nass House, we came upon an elderly lady dressed in shabby tweeds attacking a clump of shrubs with her secateur.
6: Oh, all this dead wood should have been cut away last autumn.
1: Mrs. Folliot? Oh, Mrs. Oliver, I didn't hear you coming. This is Monsieur Poirot, Amy Folliot. Madame?
6: How do you do? It's so kind of you to come all this way and so clever of Mrs. Oliver to persuade you to help us out.
0: Uh, Mrs. Oliver is an old friend of mine and I am delighted to be invited to such a beautiful house.
6: Our family has lived here since 1598. All the great poets and musicians came here. Spencer, Sidney, Dowland. Mm,
0: It must be hard for you to see strangers in possession of the house now.
6: So many things are hard, Monsieur Poirot. But let me take you inside so you can meet everybody.
0: She led us through a daintily furnished sitting room into the big drawing room beyond, which was full of people all talking at once about the hoopla and the lucky dip and guessing the weight of the pig.
6: Let me introduce you to Lady Stubbs. hattie Patty? This is Monsieur
1: Poirot, who has come all the way to help us. How do you do? George has
7: given me this pretty little ring. But then George gives me lots of pretty things. He's so kind.
0: Mm, It is a very pretty ring.
7: Look at the way it flashes in the light, as if it was winking at me. (laughs) Do you know this part of the world,
0: Monsieur Poirot? Oh, yes, I know Devon very well. I'm, I'm very fond of it.
7: It's quite nice in the daytime, when it doesn't rain... But there aren't any nightclubs.
0: Oh, do you like nightclubs, Lady Stubbs? Oh,
7: yes, I adore nightclubs. There is music and you dance. I can wear my nicest clothes and bracelets and rings. And all the other women wear nice clothes and jewels. But not as nice as mine.
8: I've, uh, I've brought you a cup of tea, Monsieur Poirot. Oh. Mrs. Oliver says you take four lumps of sugar. Is that right? Quite right. This is Miss Brewis, Monsieur Poirot, Sir George's secretary and general factotum, head cook and bottle washer. Mm, you must have your hands full with the fête tomorrow, Mademoiselle. Mm, yes, indeed. There are always so many last-minute things to see to, and people are always letting one down. Why, only an hour ago, Amanda, I was arranging. Uh, did you
4: arrange the extra putters for the top golf?
8: Well, that's all taken care of, Sir George. Well, uh, then
4: Could you come and have a word with Benson about the coconut chai? He's getting into a terrible state
0: oh, about okay. it.
8: I'll see you to it straight away, Sir George. She is very ugly, don't you think?
0: Uh, <clears throat> uh, have you been very busy preparing for the fete, uh, Lady Stubbs?
7: No, oh, no. I think it's all very boring. There are servants and gardeners. Why should they not make the preparations? What's the point of being rich if you have to do things yourself? Oh, my dear,
6: those were the ideas you were brought up on in your island estates. It isn't like that in
7: England anymore. What kind of thing will this fate be? Will it be a party like Ascot? Well,
6: not quite like Ascot, but you must try to enjoy country things, Hattie. You should have helped us this morning instead of staying in
7: bed. I will be good tomorrow, and I've got a new dress to wear. It arrived this morning. Come upstairs and look at it. But I'm busy, Hattie. No, you must see it. Come now.
0: Where's Amy going? Your wife is taking her upstairs
4: to show off her new dress. Oh, but I needed to sort out this wretched row about the garden produce stall. <laughs> How people can get so worked up about Marrows and runner beans is quite beyond me. Uh, And I want to know if the extra fencing has arrived to stop trespassers barging in without paying. Ever since they turned Hoodown House into a youth hostel, they've been the very devil of a nuisance. Seem to think they've some right of way over my land. There was some frightful spotty chap this morning. Wearing an awful shirt covered in crawling turtles and things.
1: I hope I'm not interrupting, Sir George, but could I borrow Monsieur Poirot for a few minutes? Of course, of course. I want to show him all the clues and things for the murder hunt. After all, he is going to be presenting the prizes.
0: Hmm, a very singular cast of characters, madame.
1: Yes, that's just the trouble. I've no idea which of them are really the ones I started with.
0: And uh, how do they all fit into the murder mystery?
1: Well, it's like this. Peter Gay is an atom scientist who is suspected of being in the pay of a foreign power and is married to this girl, Joan, the squire's daughter. But then this hitchhiker, Maya, turns up and she's Peter Gay's Yugoslavian first wife, who everyone thought was dead. And then this uninvited stranger, Esteban Loyola, arrives looking for Maya, possibly to blackmail. (laughs) her. I know it all sounds a terrible model, but what can you expect with so many people telling me which way the story... "'He ought to go.'
0: And the murder victim is the girl Maya?
1: Yes, I thought I told you that.
0: And she is to be played by the girl guide? Marlene.
1: Well, only Maya's corpse. Mm -hmm. Anyway, anyone who wants to play the game is given a list of all the suspects and possible murder weapons. A pistol, a length of lead piping, a clothesline and so forth, and a
8: notebook and the first clue. Oh, that's where you've got to, Monsieur Poirot. I'd better take you up and show you your room. I may not have the opportunity later.
0: What a magnificent view
8: across the river. Yes, it is is pretty. Uh, Your bathroom's on the other side of the landing.
0: A bookcase, a decanter, a box of biscuits. Everything seems organised to perfection. (laughs) Am I to thank you or my charming
8: hostess? (laughs) Lady Stubbs' time is fully taken up being charming.
0: A very decorative young woman. As you say. Hmm. But in other respects, uh, she's not perhaps.
8: Uh... Oh, well, Lady Stubbs knows perfectly well what she is doing. Besides being, as you say, a very decorative young woman, she is also a very shrewd one. But I must be getting on. There's so much to do and so little time to do it in.
0: Why did she choose to make such a strange statement about Lady Stubbs? And to me, a perfect stranger. Was there something about that rather simple-minded young woman I had failed to understand? Beneath my window in the garden, Mrs. Folliott was pottering about with her basket and secateur. Could she perhaps enlighten me about Lady Stubbs?
6: Hattie is such a dear, good girl. I knew her very well, you see. For a short time, she was under my care.
0: I did not realise that. Well, how could you?
6: Her people had vast sugar estates in the West Indies. But there was an earthquake and the house was burned down. Her parents and her brothers and sisters all lost their lives. There were no near relatives and it was decided that she should come to Europe and be introduced into English society.
0: And you were asked to take care of her?
6: The governor had been a great friend of ours. My husband had died just before the outbreak of war. My elder son was in the Navy and went down with his ship. My younger son joined the commandos and was killed in Italy. This meant there were three lots of death duties to pay.
0: And so Nass' house had to be sold?
6: Well, I was glad of the distraction of having someone young to look after.
0: Did she inherit money?
6: Nothing. There were more debts than assets, I'm afraid. Which was probably for the best. She was attractive to men and was easily influenced and I could only be grateful that a person like Sir George Stubbs should fall in love with her and want to marry her.
0: Yes, I can see that must have been a very convenient solution.
6: And since Nass had to be sold, I was very glad that it was Sir George who bought it and very considerately let me stay on at the lodge. Myrtle, our head gardener, used to live at the lodge, and I've always been fond of the place.
0: I am very glad, madame, that you have at last found a haven...
6: Do you know those lines of Spencer? Sleep after toil, port after stormy seas, ease after war, death after life, doth greatly please. It's a very wicked world, Monsieur Poirot, and there are some very wicked people in this world.
0: There was still an hour and a half before dinner, and so I walked out through the front gates down to the little quay.
9: "'Are you want to the ferry, sir? "'I can take you over if you wish.
0: "'No, thank you. "'No, I am staying at Nass' house, "'and uh, I thought I would uh, take a little walk. "'Up uh, at Nass, are you? "'I worked there as a boy.
9: Myrtle's the name. Mm-hmm. "'I used to look after the boats. Oh, "'Old Squire Folliot would go out sailing in all weathers. "'And he was over fond of the bottle.' I had a pretty hard time with him, his wife did. She lives at the lodge
0: now. Yes, I have just left
9: her. Her be a too. First cousin from over Tiverton Way. She's not had an easy life. Trouble with her husband and with her sons. Particularly the youngest, Mr. James. He caused her a lot of worry, he did.
0: Debts and women it was. So, now there are no more Folliots at Nass, and you have Sir George Stubbs and his wife
9: the night they first arrived here. Straight after their wedding it was, and the worst gale anyone could remember. Brought the big oak down it did, and a lot of other trees with it. But what do they do? Build a heathen temple in its place.
0: But the folly, do
9: you mean? Folly it is called, and folly it is. I reckon that wife of his must
0: have talked Sir George into it. Ah, well, the ladies must have their fancies. <laughs> but it is sad the day of the folly is over. Don't you believe it, sir? <laughs> always be Folliot's at Nass. But the house belongs to Sir George now.
9: That's as may be. But there's still a Folliot there. Rare and cunning the Folliots are.
0: Ah, you mean that Mrs. Folliot is living at the lodge? Just as I say, sir. There'll
9: always be Folliot's and Nass.
0: Dinner that night was rather a perfunctory affair, and no one could talk about anything but the fate. And when it was over, everyone went off to their tasks for the following day.
7: I'm very sleepy. I'm going to bed. But, Lady Stubbs, there's so much to be done. We were counting on you to help us out. Yes, I know. But I'm going to bed. You don't mind, do you, George?
4: You go and get your beauty sleep, Hattie. Be fresh and lovely tomorrow. But at the
0: breakfast table the following morning, Lady Stubbs somewhat incongruously wearing a large, pale pink hat, seemed uncharacteristically ill at ease.
7: I've had a letter from Etienne.
4: Etienne? Who's he?
7: He's my cousin, and he says he's arriving here today in his yacht. Your
4: cousin? I never knew you had one.
7: I hardly remember him. It was all a long time ago. I was a little girl.
4: Mm, Well, we'd uh, better make him welcome. Pity he's coming on the day of the fete, but... uh... Well, we'll ask him to dinner. Perhaps we could put him up for a night or two.
8: Uh, Sir George, we really must go and do something about the car park. Mm -hmm. Oh, and I do need you to give instructions to Mitchell. He won't listen to me.
10: Uh,
4: Yes, of course.
8: I'd better be on my way, too. I'm sure I've forgotten one of
1: the
7: clues, but I've no idea which one.
4: Will you be all right, Hattie?
7: I have a headache. I shall go up to my room. Oh,
4: my dear girl, there's nothing wrong, is there?
7: Oh, no. Don't you worry about me.
4: I'll look in on you later. Uh, So long, Monsieur
7: Poirot.
0: I am most distressed, Madame, that you should be suffering, particularly when your cousin is coming.
7: I don't want to see Etienne. I don't like him. I'm afraid of him. He does bad things.
0: I took myself to a quiet corner of the library. But Miss Brewis soon rooted me out and carried me off to help her with the clock-gulf numbers.
8: No, 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 ab- about a couple of yards further to your left.
0: As soon as my task had been completed to her satisfaction, I slipped away and, coming round a corner of the house, witnessed a very curious scene.
4: You're trespassing!
0: Sir George was leaning out of his wife's bedroom window and shouting at a girl hiker who was wearing a green scarf.
7: Please, uh, what is it you say? You can't come through here! Private! Please? Uh, is this the way to Nascom Key?
0: Sir George turned his head back into the room to say something to his wife and then bellowed at the top of his voice,
4: This is private property! Go back to the hostel and use the road! To the hostel? Yes! Back to the hostel!
0: At half past two, a very minor film star arrived to open the (laughs) fête. And, by three o'clock, everything was in full swing and people were queuing up at the gate. Even the young people from the hostel were there, welcome so long as they paid the half-crown entrance fee. I particularly noticed the young man in the turtle shirt whose appearance had so outraged Sir George. Lady Stubbs arrived, wearing a bright cyclamen dress with an enormous black coolie straw hat.
8: She evidently thinks it's the royal enclosure at Ascot.
0: Mrs Folliot quite transformed in appearance, wearing a hydrangea blue frock and a smart grey hat, appeared to be presiding over the proceedings as if she, and not Lady Stubbs, were the real hostess.
6: Pamela, how nice of you and Edward to come. Such a long way from Tiverton.
0: There was a display of children's dancing, cakes were ruffled, goldfish were won. I visited the fortune-telling tent, where Mrs. Legg, swathed in black with a veil across her face and a tinkling charm bracelet dangling from her wrist, told me I would cross the water to meet a mysterious dark beauty. I decided it was time to set off in search of Ariadne Oliver.
8: When I saw her last, she was in the little camellia garden by the tennis court.
1: No one seems to have got beyond clue three, when lovely woman stoops to folly.
0: Perhaps no one knows what a folly is. Oh, you didn't,
1: so why should they? And they do say the most frightful things.
0: Who, madame?
11: The
1: people taking part in the murder game. I heard one of them say he'd like to try and get my autograph. I felt quite pleased for a moment, but then he said he'd heard that i drink like a fish. <laughs> most unfair. But what am I going to do? Suppose no one finds my body? Oh,
0: courage, madame. The afternoon is still young.
1: That's true. Well, I think we ought to see how Marlene is getting on. I wouldn't put it past her to sneak off and go and have tea. You know what people are like about their tea.
0: so many paths and one is never sure where they lead. We're nearly there. Well, but what if one of the murder hunters stumbles on the boathouse by accident?
1: Oh, I thought of that. They wouldn't be able to get in. That's why the last clue is a Yale key. You can't unlock the door of the boathouse without it. Molly, we've come to cheer you up. Oh, I must say you're doing it very well, but you can relax for a few minutes. No one's anywhere near finding the last clue yet. (laughs) Come on, Marnine, you can stop playing dead now. Just
0: one moment, madame. So, what you fear has come to pass. What do you mean? You told me you would not be at all surprised if there were to be a real murder instead of a fake one.
1: She's dead?
0: She is dead. And not long dead.
1: Why? Who on earth would want to kill Marlene Tucker? must have been some kind of maniac.
0: If it was, it is the most extraordinary coincidence. What do you mean? She has been strangled with a length of clothesline.
1: (gasps) But that was one of the weapons on my list.
0: Exactly, madame. But that means... It means... That this is not the work of some passing stranger who killed on the spur of the moment. Whoever killed Marion Tucker knew all about your murder game and had planned this death from the very beginning.
12: In part one of Agatha Christie's Dead Man's Folly, Ocul Poirot was played by John Moffat, Ariadne Oliver, Julia Mackenzie. Sir George Stubbs, Michael Cochrane, Lady Stubbs, Amanda Waring, Mrs Folliat, Rosalind Knight, Miss Brewis, Liza Sadovy, Marlene, Nicola Holmes, Myrtle, Trevor Cuthbertson. Dead Man's Folly is dramatised for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. New
0: Oliver. "'celebrated writer of detective stories, "'had asked me to come down to Nass House in Devon, "'where she was organising a murder hunt "'for the local summer fete. "'She had a premonition that something was going to go wrong. "'And something did. "'The young girl guide playing the part of the murder victim "'had herself been strangled "'in circumstances exactly like those in the game.'
12: John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and Julia McKenzie as Ariadne Oliver in Agatha Christie's Dead Man's Folly.
1: It's all my fault. I should never have let them talk me into putting on this horrible game. I knew something would happen. (laughs) What are we going to do?
0: We must lock up the boathouse and go and find Sir George. The sooner the police come and take charge, the better.
4: What am I going to do about this fate, caper Inspector? seems downright cold-blooded, all this racket going on while that poor child is lying there dead. On the other hand, I I don't want to have to give everybody their money back.
10: Better to leave things as they are for the moment. (sighs) News will get round fast enough. How many people do you think there are milling about, Sir George? A
4: couple of hundred at least, and more of them pouring in every moment. The whole thing's a roaring success. Damned unfortunate. A couple of hundred. And any one of them could have done it, I suppose. Well, the whole thing's perfectly fantastic. I mean, who on earth would want to murder a young kid like that?
10: She was a local girl, I understand. Yes, yeah, right. Her people live in one of the cottages near the quay. And what was she supposed to be doing in the boathouse, exactly? Mm. Uh, I gather there was some kind of murder game going on? Yeah, well, she was supposed to be playing the part
4: of the murder victim. All seemed a good idea at the time, but... Well, my, my secretary, Miss Briss, uh, she'll be able to explain everything to you much better than I can, so uh, I'll send her in to you, shall
10: I? Oh, yes, by all means. There are probably quite a few people I shall need to talk to. Uh, lady Stubbs, perhaps.
4: Well, I have no idea where Hattie is at the moment. Uh, she, she seems to have disappeared completely from view. Uh, so, somewhere among the crowd, I expect. Chatting blissfully away, unaware that anything has gone wrong. And I, I should like to talk to the people who discovered the body. I gather one of them is a lady novelist. Yeah, uh, that's right. Uh, Mrs Ariadne Oliver. Ariadne Oliver? Mm. Oh, I'm a great fan of hers. Well, she's understandably rather upset at the moment, Inspector. Perhaps you might give her a little time to pull herself together. (sighs) Mm,
0: A little more cognac, madame.
1: Yes, please. Just a little. I can't understand it. Who on earth would want to kill a girl like Marlene Tucker? It doesn't make sense.
0: Murders do not always make sense. (laughs) But was she perhaps not the intended victim? You said she was supposed to be playing the part of a Yugoslavian hitchhiker. Yes, the first wife of the atom scientist. There was a young woman walking through the grounds this morning, dressed almost exactly as you had dressed Marlene Tucker, with a green scarf Tied around her head. She probably came from the hostel. Sir George was leaning out of his wife's bedroom window.
4: You're trespassing! You can't come through here. Private. Do you understand? Private
0: and when Lady Stubbs's mysterious cousin Etty and Asusa walked up from the river to the fete this afternoon, it was as if your scenario was beginning to take on a life of its own.: You mean the
1: mysterious stranger, Esteban Loyola) <laughs>
9: Well, excuse me.
3: Is this the house of Sir George Stubbs? Yes, this is Nass House. I am Etienne de Souza. pure uh, Paro at your service. But what is happening here? It is like
0: a fairground. Mm-hmm. It is what is called a garden fete, something of an institution in England at this time of year.
4: Etienne de Souza, I presume. I'm George Stubbs. Delighted to have you here.
3: It is a great pleasure to meet you, Sir George.
4: Had you got your letter this morning? She's around here somewhere. Uh, You'll uh, die with us this evening, I hope?
3: You are very kind.
4: And can we put you up?
3: That also is most kind, but I will stay on my yacht. It is more down the river at Helmos. Uh, Staying long in this part of the world? Two or three days, perhaps longer.
0: Uh, Tell me, madame, was the mysterious stranger your idea?
1: I don't think it was, but I I can't for the life of me remember who suggested it. Oh. Oh, It's all such a model. What happened when this D'Souza person met Lady Stubbs?
0: He did not meet her. Sir George could not find
1: her anywhere. She must be hiding. She said she was frightened of him. Uh, Do you think I could have a tiny drop more?
10: (laughs) You know most of the people round here, Constable. What can you tell me?
11: Well, sir, uh, Lady Stubbs is a bit wanting up here. Mm. I expect that's why no one can find her. Scatty, that's what she is. Is she a local girl? Oh, no, sir. She's a foreigner. Comes from the West Indies, or something like that. I've heard some very queer things about her.
10: And what do you know about the murdered girl? What are her family
11: like? Oh, They're nice, respectable people. Uh, Two boys and a girl. None of them's what you might call bright, but Mrs Tucker keeps the place clean as a pin. Uh, Mind you, she nags her poor husband like mad, and bullies her poor old father. And I dare say she spoke pretty sharp to Marlene. But she'd take no notice, like water off a duck's back. What do you know about Marlene? Was she fond of the boys? I wouldn't think they'd have had much time for her. Though she'd probably have liked it if they had. But it couldn't have been anyone local who killed her. More likely to have been one of those foreigners from up at the hostel. There's some very nasty ones stay there. Be surprised, you would, at what I've seen them doing in the bushes and woods.
8: Sir George says you wanted to see me, Inspector. And you are? Amanda Brewis. I'm Sir George's secretary.
10: Ah, yes. Uh, that'll be all for the moment, Haskins. Ah. No, just a minute. Um, see if you can find out where Lady Stubbs has got to, will you? Uh, yes, sir. <clears throat> Please, sit down, Miss Brewis.
8: What exactly do you want to know, Inspector?
10: Oh, it's difficult to know where to start. Tell me how this poor girl came to be taking part in the murder game.
8: Well, it was rather a last-minute decision. Originally, Sally Legg was going to play the victim.
10: And who is Sally Legg?
8: Oh, she and her husband live in Mill Cottage down by the creek. He's involved in some kind of hush-hush research, and she's a painter. They came to live in the area a month or two ago.
10: So why didn't she play the part?
8: Oh, uh, well, there was a party up here one evening and Sally had told all our fortunes and Sir George said she was so good at it she should dress up as a gypsy and tell fortunes at the fete at half a crown a time. And so we had to find someone else to play the corpse. Uh, the, the local girl guides were helping us with the fete and somebody suggested that one of them would do just as
10: well. And who was that somebody, Miss Ah, uh, I really
8: don't quite remember, but anyway, it was suggested.
10: Is there any reason why this particular girl... Marlene Tucker. Should have been chosen?
8: Not that I know of. Her people are tenants on the estate and have been associated with Nass House for many years.
10: That's probably why she was chosen. And was she happy to do it?
8: Oh, yes, I think she was quite flattered. She wasn't very intelligent.
10: So what exactly was it she had to do?
8: She had to stay in the boathouse and whenever she heard anyone coming she had to lie down on the floor, put the cord around her neck and pretend to be dead.
10: Wasn't that rather a boring way for her to spend the afternoon when all her friends would have been having fun at the fete? I
8: don't think she saw it like that. She was enjoying the idea of being the centre of attention, so to speak. And she had a pile of comics and magazines.
10: And something to eat as well. I noticed a tray and a glass.
8: Oh, yes, yes. She had a, a big plate of sweet cakes and a raspberry fruit drink. Lady Stubbs said the girl ought to have some kind of refreshment and asked me to take them down to her.
10: Well, you took them to her. When was this? Oh, about the middle of the afternoon. Can you be a bit more specific than that, Miss Bruce? Well, let me see. Uh,
8: there was a bit of a delay over the children's fancy dress because Lady Stubbs had wandered off somewhere and Mrs Folliott had to take her place, so well, by the time I actually got round to collecting the drink and the cakes from the kitchen, it must have been about... about five past four.
10: And when did you get to the boathouse? Oh, at about a quarter past. So, at a quarter past four... Marlene Tucker was alive and well. Oh, yes,
8: yes. She was very eager to hear how the murder hunt was going, how many people had entered for it, that sort of thing.
10: And was she lying on the floor, shamming dead when you came in?
8: Oh, no, I I didn't have a key. I called out to her to say who it was, and she let me in.
10: And you're quite sure of the time? It was a quarter past four?
8: Well, yes, about then. I I didn't look at my watch. You mean it was soon after then when she was...
10: It can't have been very long after, Miss Bruce. Oh, dear. Now... Did you meet or see anyone in the vicinity of the boathouse on your way there or on the way back?
8: No, not a soul. Though I think there was someone in the folly. The folly? It's a kind of white temple arrangement put up by Sir George shortly after he arrived here. It is is to the right as you go down to the boathouse. I heard a man laughing and a woman told him to be quiet.
10: Have you any idea who they were?
8: No, I haven't. You can't see inside the folly from the path.
10: But would you recognise the voices?
8: Well, there wasn't really enough to go on.
10: And you're quite sure there was no-one else on the path or near it?
8: I didn't see anyone, but it doesn't mean there was no-one there. I mean, It would have been the simplest thing in the world for anyone who might have heard me coming to slip behind the shrubs or the rhododendron bushes.
10: Hmm. Is there anything you can tell me about this poor girl that might lead us to our killer?
8: i never spoken to her until she was asked to take part in the murder hunt. I can only think that the fact that she was playing the murder victim must have led some unbalanced mind to turn it into reality.
10: I really must find out rather more about this murder game. Do you happen to know where Mrs Oliver is?
8: Uh, she's in the library, I think. Would you like me to get her for you, Inspector?
10: If you would be so kind, Miss Bruce.
8: I feel awful.
1: Awful. Because you see, it's my murder. I did it.
10: Mrs. Oliver, I don't Why did
1: it have to be the Yugoslavian first wife of the Atoms? I'm, I'm... sorry, what is exactly? I'm sure that was never my idea. It might just as well have been the second gardener, who wasn't what he seemed, and that wouldn't have mattered half so much, because, after all, men can look after themselves, and if they can't, that's their lookout. out. Yeah. Men get killed and nobody mm. minds. I mean, nobody except their wives and sweethearts and children, and things like that.
10: Mrs Oliver, perhaps this is I'm not
1: mad and I'm not drunk. I'm just upset. Thoroughly upset.
10: I fully understand, Mrs Oliver, but if we could the just... The awful
1: thing is that she wanted to be a sex maniac's victim, and now I suppose she was. <laughs> Or do I mean is?
10: there's, there's no question of a sex maniac. The doctor has confirmed there were no signs of assault or interference of any kind. Well,
1: thank goodness for that. Perhaps she would rather have died that way.
10: Oh, really, Mrs. Oliver, that's... But a...
1: if he wasn't a sex maniac, why did he murder her, Inspector?
10: Well, I was rather hoping you might be able to help me there.
1: I can't help you. I can't imagine who could have done it. At least, uh, I can imagine. I can imagine anything. That's the trouble with me. How do you mean? Well, she could have been murdered by someone who likes murdering. But that's too easy. Anyway, how could he have known Marlene was in the boathouse? Or... She might have known some secret about somebody's love affair and... Or she may have seen someone burying a body at night. Or she recognised someone who was trying to conceal his identity. Or she may have discovered where some secret treasure was buried during the war. Or the man in the launch may have thrown somebody into the river and she saw it from the window of the boathouse. Or she may have got hold of some very important message in secret code and not known what it was. Of course, she may Please, have, please, please, uh,
10: Mrs Oliver... What did you mean by by the man in the launch? Or are you just imagining a man in the launch?
1: Somebody told me he'd come in a launch. I I, I can't remember now. The one we were talking about at breakfast, I mean. A man at breakfast who came in a launch? He didn't come in the launch at breakfast time. It was a yacht. At least, I mean, it, it was a letter. A letter? A letter to Lady Stubbs from a cousin in a yacht. And she was frightened.
10: What was she frightened of?
1: Of him, I suppose. She seemed terrified of him and didn't want him to come.
10: Who is this man?
1: His name's Esteban... Uh, No, it isn't. Uh, That was his name in the murder hunt. Uh, He's called Etienne de Souza. Well, you'd better ask Monsieur Poirot, because he's (gasps) spoken to him and I haven't. Just a
10: minute. Did you say... Monsieur Poirot?
1: Yes, a cool Poirot. He was with me when we found the body. A little
10: Belgian chap with a very big moustache? Yes,
1: he's particularly proud of his moustaches.
10: It's a good many years since I met him. I was a young sergeant at the time.
1: What's he doing down here? But he was. He, he was going to give away the prizes for the murder hunt.
10: And he was with you when you discovered the body? I'd like to talk to him.
1: Shall I get him for you? He's in the library. If
10: you're sure there's nothing more you can ask. No,
1: not at the moment. As I say, I can imagine all kinds of possibilities. Yeah, thank you
10: very much, madam. If you could ask Monsieur Poirot to have a word with me, I'd be very grateful.
1: I'll get him now. Oh, <sighs>
11: oh, excuse me. Sorry, madam. <clears throat> I'm afraid I've drawn a complete blank over a ladyship, inspector. Well, she must be somewhere. Oh, she'd be pretty difficult to miss. According to her maid, she's wearing a dress of cyclamen Crepe Georgette, whatever that is. A large black hat and black court shoes with four-inch court heels. She kind of got far in those. Could she have changed her clothes? Uh, No, I I went into all that. Her maid says there's nothing missing. Nothing whatsoever. She hasn't even changed her shoes.
10: Even so, it, it might be worth checking with the man at the gate to see if she went out that way. I'll do that straight away, sir. Oh, Here's the French gentleman for you. Belgian. Oh, do please come and sit down, Monsieur Poirot. Ah, thank you, Inspector. (laughs) I don't suppose you remember me. But But, uh, assuredly I do.
0: You are, um... No, 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 no. Just give me a little moment. Um... Yes, it is the young uh, Sergeant Bland, (laughs) whom I met 14... uh, No, no. 15 years ago. Oh, quite right. Oh, what a memory. Not at all. You remember me? Why should I not remember you?
10: Murders do seem to follow you about, Monsieur Poirot. I gather from Mrs. Oliver that you came down here to give the prizes for the murder hunt. She told you nothing else? Nothing else? Oh, she never stopped telling me things. <laughs> Every possible and a good many other impossible explanations for the girl's murder.
0: What an imagination! Mm. She earns her living by her imagination, my ami. She
10: mentioned a man called de Souza. Did she invent that? Oh, no. There is nothing imaginary about de Souza. Something about a letter and a man coming up the river in a launch. I could make no head nor tail of it. Lady
0: Stubbs received a letter at breakfast from a distant cousin she had known in the West Indies as a child,
10: telling her he was coming here today. Mrs Oliver said that Lady Stubbs was frightened. Was that your impression? Yes, it was. But why should she be afraid of her cousin?
0: I have no idea. All she told us was that he was bad. Bad. She is, you understand, a little simple.
10: But do you think her fear was real? Well, if it was not, she is a
0: very clever
10: actress. I gather from Mrs. Oliver you met this D'Souza chap. What was your impression of him? Perfectly charming, and rather bewildered by finding himself
0: in the middle of an English garden fete.
10: And was Lady Stubbs there when he arrived? No,
0: she was supposed to be judging the fancy dress competition, but no one could find her.
10: Perhaps she was trying to avoid meeting her cousin.
0: Hmm, it is quite possible.
10: Well, she can't have gone far. No doubt she'll turn up soon.
0: And supposing she does not?
10: You're making it sound quite sinister.
0: Hmm. Perhaps
10: it is sinister, Inspector. From what Lady Stubbs said to you this morning, did you get the impression she was afraid of her cousin's coming because he knew something about her which might come to the ears of her husband? Or would you say it was direct personal fear of the man himself? I should say it was direct personal fear. Hmm. Then I think I'll take a stroll down to where his launch is moored at the quay and have a word with him. Would you care to come with me, Monsieur Poirot? I'd be grateful for your opinion. <laughs>
3: Welcome aboard, gentlemen. I'm afraid we shall be a little cramped here. You would not prefer to go down to my yacht in Helmholtz.
10: This will do perfectly well, sir.
3: (sighs) Life is full of surprises. I come all the way to Devon to spend an afternoon with a little cousin I have not seen for years, and what happens? I find myself in the middle of a kind of carnival with coconuts whizzing past my head and little girls dancing about in fancy dress. And then... Without warning, I am embroiled in a murder mystery, and uh, not that it concerns me in the least. I am at a loss to understand why you should wish to interview me.
10: You arrived here a stranger, Mr. Tussauds.
3: And strangers are necessarily viewed with suspicion. Is that what you mean?
10: Oh, no, that's not what I meant at all. You came up the river from Helmuth this afternoon, I understand. That is so, yes. Did you happen to notice, on your right, an old boathouse jutting out into the river with a little mooring key by the side of it? Yes,
3: I remember passing it. If I had known the boathouse belonged to Nas, I would have moored the launch there and not carried on to the quay. Did you
10: see anyone there as you passed? No. Should I have seen someone? It's a possibility. You see, Mr. D'Souza, the murdered girl was killed in that boathouse this afternoon and you think I might possibly have been a witness to the murder I just wondered whether you might have seen the girl she might have looked out of the window or come outside if you had it it might have helped us to narrow down the time of her death
3: I see what you mean but why ask me particularly I notice plenty of boats going up and down the river from Hellmouse pleasure steamers that kind of thing why not ask them
10: We shall ask them in due course, Mr. D'Souza. Never fear. Do I take it, then, that you did not notice anyone at the boathouse? No. There was nothing to show there was anyone there.
3: And if the girl had been looking through the window, I would probably not have noticed her since I did not pass very near. I am sorry that I cannot help you.
10: Oh, well. We can't hope for too much. Are you alone down here on this cruise, or
3: do you have friends with you? Until recently, there were a number of friends with me, but for the past few days, I have been on my own, apart from the crew, of course.
10: May I ask, what is the name of this yacht of yours, Mr. de Souza?
3: The Esperanza. Oh, thank you. Now,
10: I understand Lady
3: Stubbs is your cousin. A distant one. In the islands, you must understand, there is a great deal of intermarrying. We are all cousins, so to speak. Hattie is a second or third cousin. I have not seen her since she was a young girl of 14 or 15.
10: And you decided you would pay her a surprise visit today? It
3: was hardly a surprise visit. I had written telling Hattie I was coming.
10: Yes, yeah, I understand she received a letter this morning and she was surprised to hear you were in the country. Well, that would have been
3: my second letter. I wrote to her more than a month ago when I was in France, telling her I would arrive at Torquay or Hellmouse round about today. May I ask a question, Inspector?
10: Oh, of course. Please, go ahead, uh, Mr. Poirot.
3: Did Lady Stubbs reply to your first letter? No, I don't think she did. But I was travelling and had no fixed address. And besides, I do not think my cousin Hathi is very good at writing letters. She is not very intelligent, you know. Although I understand she has grown into a very beautiful woman. So you have not yet seen her? She seems to be unaccountably missing. No doubt this asbestogala bores her.
10: Have you any reason to believe your cousin might be trying to avoid you? What
3: a fantastic question. Why should Hattie wish to avoid me? The idea is absurd. There is no possibility that she might have cause to be afraid of you? Afraid of me? Forgive me, Monsieur Poirot, but the idea is quite fantastic. Your relations with your cousin have always been quite amicable? I have had no relations with her for years. I have not set eyes on her since she was a child of 14.
10: So what made you decide
3: to come and see her, Mr. de I read a paragraph about her in one of your society papers. It mentioned her maiden name and that she had married this rich Englishman, and I thought, I must see what little cousin Hattie has turned into. No more than that. And now, since it appears she does not wish to see me today, I would like to go back to my yacht. I am sure you cannot wish to ask any more
10: questions, Inspector. You're not thinking of leaving, Helmuth, for a day or two, I hope, Mr. D'Souza? How
3: charmingly you put it, Inspector. Is that an order? Oh, just a request, sir. I appreciate your politeness. I propose to stay at Hellmoth's for two more days. Sir George has kindly offered to put me up at Nas' house, but I prefer to remain on the Esperanza. If you should want to ask me any further questions, that is where you will find me. I can only wish you every possible success in tracking down your murderer. Gentlemen...
10: Very superior kind of character I don't care to be condescended to Surely he must appreciate the seriousness of the situation
0: Mm. Even so, I can see no reason why he should be involved in the death of Marlene Tucker
10: Perhaps not but a little cooperation would surely not be too much to ask. Oh,
8: I've been looking for you everywhere, Inspector. Sir George wants to see you. He's in a terrible state. He's only just realised that Lady Stubbs can't be found anywhere. I told him she'd probably gone off somewhere with some friends, but he's got it into his head that something's happened to her. It's ridiculous.
10: Well, not that ridiculous, Surely. We've had one murder here this afternoon. Oh, but Lady Stubbs is perfectly capable of looking after herself. Are
0: you really sure of that, Miss Bruce? I've
10: been given to understand she's rather a helpless kind of character. Oh, nonsense.
8: It suits Lady Stubbs to play the helpless invalid when she wants to get out of doing something. It takes Sir George in, I dare say, but it doesn't take me in. But we'd better go and find him. I've never known him to be like this before.
10: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed...
4: You've got to do something about Hattie, Inspector. You've got to find her. Some ruddy, homicidal maniacs roaming around the fete, killing people. Oh,
10: I think that's rather an alarmist.
4: Alarmist? My wife has been missing for nearly two hours. Why didn't somebody tell me? I mean, I, I thought it was a bit odd when she didn't turn up for the children's fancy dress. But no one told me she'd vanished off the face of the earth. Well, nobody knew. Well, somebody ought to have known. Why didn't you notice, Amanda? You were keeping an eye on things. I, I can't be everywhere. I, I've got so much to do. And if Lady Stubbs chooses to well, wander off... why should she off... choose to do that, hmm? Unless she wanted to avoid that Dago fellow. Uh,
0: forgive me for interrupting, Sir George. I interrupt by
4: all means, Monsieur Poirot.
0: Did Lady Stubbs receive a letter from Mr de Souza about three weeks ago informing her that he was coming to this country?
4: No, of course she didn't. You're sure of that, Sir George? Quite certain. Had he would have told me... Well, you saw how upset she was when the letter arrived this morning, Monsieur Poirot. It gave her a splitting headache, and she had to go and lie down. Did she
0: say anything more about D'Souza? Did she tell you why she did not want him to come?
4: No. She didn't give any reason. She just kept on saying he was wicked. Wicked? In what way? Blessed if I know. She just went on rather like a child, saying she wished he wasn't coming here. She said he'd done bad things. What kind of bad things? And when? Oh, long ago. I imagine D'Souza is the black sheep of the family. And Hattie must have picked up odds and ends about him when she was a kid. She's got a kind of horror of him. I mean, she can be very childlike sometimes.
10: She didn't say anything more specific. I wouldn't want
4: you to go by what she said, Inspector.
0: Then she did say something.
4: All right, I'll let you have it. What she said was, and she said it several times... He kills people, he kills people.
12: In part two of Agatha Christie's Dead Man's Folly, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat, Ariadne Oliver, Julia Mackenzie, Inspector Bland, Simon Treves, Sir George Stubbs, Michael Cochrane, Etienne de Souza, Sam Dale, Miss Brewis, Liza Sadovy, P.C. Hoskins, Joseph Klosker. Dead Man's Folly is dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams.
0: Ariadne Oliver, Queen of Crime Writers, had devised a murder hunt for a fete at the home of Sir George Stubbs, but the game turned to grim reality when we found that the young girl playing the role of the murder victim had been strangled. But then it appeared that Lady Stubbs was nowhere to be found. Had she gone into hiding to avoid meeting her distant cousin, the mysterious Etienne de Souza, of whom she was evidently very afraid? <laughs>
12: John Moffat as Hercule Poirot in Agatha Christie's Dead Man's Folly. He kills people.
0: What did Lady
4: Stubbs mean by that, do you know? I have not the faintest idea. She just kept repeating it over and over again. But she couldn't tell me who Souza had killed or indeed why. Do you mean couldn't or wouldn't, Sir George? I've no idea, Inspector. I didn't take it all that seriously at the time. I can only suppose she was talking about something that happened when she was a child out in the West Indies. Trouble with a native, something like that. You don't think she might have meant something more specific? She might have done. But I don't see how it could have anything to do with the murder of this wretched girl. What's her name?
8: Marlene Tucker. Mm.
4: Well, D'Souza could hardly have got off his yacht and gone straight to the boathouse to kill a spotty girl guide. he couldn't
10: conceivably have heard of. Well, I'm not suggesting anything of the kind, but you must realise, Sir George, that in looking for the killer of Marlene Tucker, the field is more restricted than you might think. Restricted? You've got the whole ruddy fate to choose from. Two or three hundred people. Any of them might have done it. No, it isn't like that at all, Sir George. The door of the boathouse has a Yale lock. Nobody could get into it from the outside without a key. Can you tell me how many keys there were? No idea. Amanda? Uh There were three, I believe. Mrs. Oliver concealed one of them in a pot in the hydrangea walk. That's so, isn't it,
11: Mr. Poirot?
0: Yes, it was the final clue in the murder hunt, and I know it is still there. The second key was in the possession of Mrs. Oliver. She used it to open the door of her boathouse when we discovered the body. I have it Here.
10: Thank you. And the third key? Uh,
8: That ought to be in the drawer of the desk where you're sitting, Inspector. Ah.
10: Yes, it's here. So you see what this means, don't you, Sir George? Marlene Tucker must have been murdered by someone she had herself admitted. Well, that could be practically anyone.
0: No, 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 that is not strictly true. Huh? She had been instructed to lie down and play the part of the corpse should she hear anyone approaching. Therefore... The only people she would have let in were those who had been involved in arranging the murder game. Yourself, Lady Stubbs, Miss Broys here, and Mrs. Oliver.
10: Anyone else, Sir George?
4: Alec and Sally Leg. though Sally would have been in the fortune-telling tent. Amy Folliot, of course. Michael Weyman. Who's he? An architect who's staying in the house designing a tennis pavilion for me. So you see, Sir George,
10: it is not a very large field. That's absolute nonsense. Are you trying to suggest... I'm only suggesting there's a great deal we don't know yet. Uh. So now I'd like to talk to Mrs. Legg and this Wayman chap.
8: Well, Mrs. Legg will still probably be telling fortunes. But I'll, uh, I'll try and find Michael Wayman for you.
10: All this is just pussyfooting about.
4: Where's my wife? What the devil are you going to do about Hattie?
10: I'll put every man I've got onto it, Sir George. they be quick about it.
0: THE FATE CONTINUED REMORSELESSLY, MOCKINGLY OUTSIDE Eventually, Michael Wayman, a tall, untidy young man in dilapidated flannel trousers, was shown in
13: I gather some poor kid's been strangled with a clothesline That's what comes of playing murder games
10: Please, sit down, Mr Wayman So,
13: we're all suspects, are we? Or was it one of the local boys?
10: We don't see how it could have been one of the local boys, as you put it.
13: Well, it's no good looking at me, Inspector. I don't wander around the countryside strangling
10: underdeveloped spotty kids. Just for the record, Mr. Wayman, where were you between a quarter past four this afternoon and five o'clock? You mean that's when the poor kid was murdered? How can you tape it down so precisely as that? Because a witness saw the girl alive at a quarter past four. What witness? Uh, Or shouldn't I ask? Well, I don't mind telling you. Lady Stubbs asked Miss Brewis to take down a tray of cream cakes to the girl at 4.15. Hattie asked her. I don't believe a word of it.
13: Why don't you believe a word of it, Mr. Wyman? It's just not the kind of thing she'd ever think of. Lady Stubbs' mind revolves entirely around herself. Do you know Lady Stubbs well, then, Mr. Wayman? I'd never met her till a couple of weeks ago when I came down to discuss the tennis pavilion. She was full of ideas about it. She She wants a kind of Chinese pagoda with dragons. Just because she wants to show herself in those enormous coolie hats. So what is your opinion of her? I should say she knows which side her bread is buttered better than most. A very ornamental young lady and knows
10: how to make the most of it. But not particularly bright up top, perhaps.
13: Well, I wouldn't exactly describe her as an intellectual. But if you're implying she's not quite all there, you're wrong. For some reason, she likes playing the dim nitwit. But make no mistake about it, she's very much all there. Nobody more so. Did you happen to see Lady Stubbs during the course of this afternoon? It would have been pretty difficult not to see her, done up like a Christian Dior mannequin.
10: When was this? About half past three, I should think. Not after that? No. Why do you ask? Because no one seems to have seen her after four o'clock. Lady Stubbs has vanished. Vanished? How very odd. What's she up to, I wonder? But we've rather strayed from my original question. You haven't told me where you were between a quarter past four and five o'clock. Oh, nowhere in particular. I wandered about,
13: watching the yokels enjoying themselves. Tried my hand at the coconut shy. In my
0: opinion, those coconuts are glued on. Tell me, Mr Wayman, did your
13: wanderings take you in the direction of uh, the folly? The folly? Yes. As a matter of fact, I did go there. Sir George says the place needs shoring up. It was put up in a hurry and it's subsiding, apparently. I told him he ought to pull the whole thing down and re-erect it on top of the bank, near the house. But he won't hear of it. Anyway, I thought I'd take another look. Finish with me now, Inspector? For the time being.
10: Thank you, Mr Wayman.
0: The long summer evening was drawing towards its close. But no one seemed to want to go home. Mrs Leg was still trapped in the fortune-telling tent. I went out into the garden and found Mrs. Folliat. She looked pale and exhausted, and suddenly very old.
6: That poor, poor child, just at the beginning of her life. I can't bear to think about it.
0: You said to me only yesterday, madame, that it is a very wicked world.
6: Did I say that? But I never expected anything like this would happen.
0: What did you expect to happen, madame?
6: I didn't expect anything. I simply meant that it was the last thing you would expect to happen in the middle of a fete.
0: Lady Stubbs this morning also spoke of wickedness.
6: I don't want to think about Lady Stubbs. I don't want to speak about her.
0: What did she say about wickedness? She was speaking about her cousin Etienne de Souza. She said he was a bad man and that she was afraid of him.
6: You should pay no attention to the things she says, Monsieur Poirot. She's like a child. I mean, she uses terms like a child. Wicked, good, no half-shades.
0: What is she really like, madame?
6: What a very odd question, monsieur Poirot.
0: You know, do you not, madame, that Lady Stubbs cannot be found anywhere?
6: She's run away, has she? I see.
0: It seems to you quite natural that she should?
6: She is very unaccountable.
0: Do you think she has run away because she has a guilty conscience?
6: What do you mean by that,
0: Monsieur Poirot? Her cousin, Etienne de Souza, was talking about her to the inspector. He implied that she was mentally subnormal. I think you must know, madame, that people like that are not always responsible for their actions. What are you trying to say? Such people can be like children. In a sudden fit of rage, they might even kill
6: Hattie was never like that. She was a gentle, warm-hearted girl, even if she was a little simple. Hattie could never
8: have killed anyone. Never! I am sorry to disturb you, Mrs Folliot, but the Inspector would like to have a word with you, if you feel up to it, that is. Of course I feel up to it, Amanda. I will come
6: with you straight away.
0: If you permit, I will accompany you, madame.
10: I'm sorry to drag you in at a time like this, Mrs Folliot but I believe you know all the people who live around here pretty well, and I think you may be able to help us.
6: I have lived here most of my life, Inspector. What do you want to know?
10: You must understand, Mrs Folliot, that we have to consider every possible angle to this case, uh, particularly those involved in setting up the murder hunt. What can you tell me, for instance, about Sally and Alec Legge?
6: Oh, they seem to be a very nice young couple. He's inclined to be what I should call moody... Sally Legg was a castor before her marriage, and I know her people very well.
10: She's an attractive lady, I understand.
6: Oh yes, certainly.
0: Um, would you say that at any time Sir George has felt that attraction, Madame?
6: Oh no, that's quite out of the question. Sir George is completely absorbed in his business, and he's is very fond of his wife. He's not at all a philandering sort of man.
10: And Lady Stubbs and this young architect fellow,
6: Michael Wayman. Oh, no, Inspector. I'm sure there hasn't been anything there. I should have known if there had.
10: I'm simply trying to account for Lady Stubbs' disappearance, Mrs Folliot. I thought there might perhaps have been some disagreement between her and her husband.
6: Oh, no. As I understand it, the silly girl didn't want to meet this cousin of hers. She's run away as a child might hide. However, since Mr D'Souza is in the vicinity for a day or two, I'm sure we can make her see she has to behave properly.
10: Hmm. And what can you tell me about Miss Amanda Brewis? I'm sorry to ask you questions which you may regard as impertinent, but I need to build up a, an overall picture.
6: Well, she's an excellent secretary. She practically acts as housekeeper down here, and I don't know what they'd do without her.
10: She doesn't like Lady Stubbs very much, does she?
6: No, I'm afraid she doesn't. I don't think good secretaries ever do care for wives very much, if you see what I mean.
10: Hmm. Uh, Can you tell me where you were from four o'clock until five, Mrs. Follier?
6: I was helping out in the tea tent. There'd been a great influx from the Torquay bus, and everyone was rushed off their feet.
10: And did you notice anyone else there? Mr. Wayman or Mrs. Legg, for instance?
6: No. I didn't see either of them. There was hardly a face there that I knew.
10: Well, I think that's all I need to ask you, Mrs. Follier. we can only hope Lady Stubbs will turn up very soon.
6: Very thoughtless of the dear child to cause us all so much anxiety. I'm sure she's quite all right.
2: I hope I'm not intruding,
6: but I hear you've been asking for me. This is Mrs. Legg, Inspector. What a terrible business this all is, Sally. Ghastly.
2: I'll leave you then.
10: Thank you for all your help, Mrs. Folliot. Please sit down, Mrs. (laughs) Legg.
2: I don't think I'm going to be much help to you, Inspector. You see, I've been telling fortunes all afternoon, so I haven't seen anything of what was going
10: on. I've only just heard about poor Marlene. Where were you between 4.15 and 5 o'clock?
2: Well, at around 4 o'clock, I left my post and went and had tea.
10: In the tea tent? Yes. Mm. And did you see anyone there you knew? I noticed
2: a few people, but I didn't speak to anyone. I was too desperate for a cup of tea. I'd been sitting there behind my yashmak for hours, promising the wildest things. Millionaire husbands, star parts in Hollywood, everything short of canonization. <laughs> Tall, dark strangers and unexpected journeys across the sea seemed far too tame.
10: And when did you go back to your fortune-telling tent?
2: At half past four. There was
10: already quite a queue. Can you tell me when you last saw Lady Stubbs?
2: I really don't quite know. She was quite near at hand when I came out of my tent, but I didn't speak to her. I don't recall seeing her afterwards. I've been told she's missing. Is that true?
10: Yes, it's true.
2: I dare say she got frightened when she heard about the murder. She's a bit queer in the top story, you know.
10: So what do you think, Manami? I don't know what to think. Miss Brewis says Lady Stubbs told her to take the cakes down to Marlene Tucker. Michael Wayman says Lady Stubbs would never have asked her to do such a thing. Mrs. Legg says she was in the tea tent from 4 to 4.30, but Mrs. Folliot never saw her there.
0: Ah, one always has the conflicting statements. It is often difficult to know how seriously to take them. Do you have any thoughts about who might have killed Marlene Tucker?
10: Mm, not yet, Monsieur Poirot. But I think she was murdered because she saw something. She saw something she was not meant to see. Mm, I will not contradict you. The problem is, what did she see? She might have seen Mrs. Legg with a lover. Sir George, perhaps.
0: But would that be sufficient cause for murder?
10: Or she might have seen the murder itself. The murder of whom? What do you think, Monsieur Poirot? Is
0: Lady Stubbs alive or dead? I am inclined to think that Lady Stubbs is dead, and I will tell you why. It is because Mrs. Folliot thinks she is. When she was talking to me earlier, she spoke of her at least twice in the past tense. It was quite unconscious, but the implications were inescapable. Mrs. Folliot knows a great deal that we do not know. But I fear she will never tell us.
4: Morning, Mrs. Foyer. Still no news of Hattie. The whole damn thing defies belief. Where the devil could she be?
8: Aren't you going to look through your letters, Sir George?
4: Damn the letters to hell. I can't be bothered. She seems so pleased with the new ring I'd given her. She dressed herself up to enjoy the fate. It's not to say we'd had a quarrel of any kind. And then she just goes off without a word.
0: Mrs. Oliver had departed for London by the first train. She had been deeply disturbed by Marlene Tucker's death, and nothing I said could shake her conviction that she was somehow responsible.
8: Now, Sir George, please don't forget you have a meeting with Hodgkins this morning about the electrification of the milking shop. I can't
4: see anyone. How the devil do you think a man can attend to business when he's going out of his mind about his wife? If you say so, Sir George... Look here, Poirot... Her. You don't think she's dead, do you? I should say it
0: was far too soon to suspect anything of that kind, Sir George. So, you do think so. Well,
8: I don't.
4: I say she's quite all right.
8: Men are such fools. You should never have married her, of course.
0: But you mean they were not happy together?
8: She had a thoroughly bad influence over him, making him buy her far more jewels than any woman could wear, and two mink coats, What could any woman want with two mink coats? Ah, that I would not know. And always playing the simpleton. Especially when people were here. I suppose she thought he liked her that way.
0: And did he like her that way? Oh.
8: Men don't appreciate efficiency or loyalty or unselfishness. With a clever, capable wife, Sir George could have got somewhere. Got
0: where, Miss Brewers?
8: He could have taken a prominent role in local politics or stand for Parliament. If he was married to someone who really appreciated him, he could achieve anything. Tell
0: me, Miss Brewis, what do you think has happened to Lady Stubbs? Oh,
8: gone off with some man or other. That's what she's done. It's the only explanation.
0: Has there been any trouble with men?
8: She's done her best to make a fool of Michael Wayman, pretending to advise him about his plans for the tennis pavilion. She'd probably have succeeded too if he hadn't other fish to fry. Oh,
0: what other fish, Miss Bruce?
8: It was Mrs. Legg who recommended him to Sir George. She knew him before she was married. She might have made quite a career for herself as a painter.
0: Has she been married long?
8: Ah, about three years. I don't think it's turned out very well. Alec Legg's a very withdrawn, moody kind of person, and I've heard him be quite bad-tempered with her sometimes.
0: And so Mrs. Legg has been consoling herself with... Michael Wayman. Well, she certainly spends a lot of time with him. And Mr Lake? Is he perhaps an admirer of Lady Stubbs?
8: I dare say she thought he was. She's certainly been meeting someone on the sly. She often slips out of the house on the quiet and goes off to the woods by herself. She was out on the night before the fete. You remember she said she had a headache and had to go to bed? I caught sight of her not an hour later slipping out of the side door with a scarf round her head.
0: Hmm. I'm very curious.
8: But I'd better go and attend to Sir George's letters. Somebody's got to answer them and he's obviously not going to bother.
0: Had Sir George, I wondered, ever thought of Amanda Bruce as a woman? If his wife really had run away with a lover, it would suit Miss Bruce very well, for then she would be left alone to console the grieving husband. I felt the need for fresh air, and I took a walk up through the woods to the folly. It had a curiously half-finished look about it. Even the stone bench on which I sat, to rest after my climb up the hill, was shoddily made and far too low. Something that glittered caught my eye, and I picked up, a little gold aeroplane charm that had fallen into a small crack in the floor of the temple. I had seen it before, on the wrist of Missus leg, when she was telling fortunes. And then a figure appeared in the archway which led into the folly.
12: Oh, I beg your pardon. I did not expect.
0: It was the young man in the garish turtle shirt I had noticed at the fete. Please, uh, can you tell me... I'm afraid you are trespassing. Are you looking for someone? Uh, I thought I could find a path through here to the quay. Have you come from the hostel?
9: Yes, I have.
0: Uh, Then I am afraid you will have to go back there and go round to the quay by the road.
9: Yes, of course. I will do that. Thank you.
0: He walked rapidly away down the path. "'It was obvious that he had been expecting to meet someone at the folly. "'But whom? "'Was this perhaps the murderer I had encountered? "'I walked a little way down the path he had taken, "'but clearly he had decided to make off as quickly as possible. "'I made my way back to the folly. "'Someone was kneeling down on the floor by the entrance. "'It was Mrs. Legg.'
2: Monsieur Poirot, you gave me quite a fright. I didn't hear you coming.
0: Are you looking for something, madame?
2: No, not exactly.
0: Then perhaps you have a a rendezvous here.
2: Does anyone have a rendezvous at this hour of the morning?
0: (laughs) Sometimes one has to have a rendezvous at the only time one can. Husbands are often jealous.
2: I doubt if mine is. He never thinks about anything but his work.
0: All women complain about their husbands' indifference... Especially English husbands.
2: <laughs> I think one's a fool to marry. Ah.
0: You lament the days when you painted in your studio in Chelsea?
2: You seem to know all about
0: me, Monsieur Poirot. hmm I am a gossip. <laughs> I like to hear all about people.
2: I hoped that when Alec and I came here for a holiday away from everything, we'd find our old life together again. But it hasn't worked out like that.
0: It has not? <sighs>
2: Alec is completely wrapped up in himself. He's nervy and on edge all the time. People ring up and leave meaningless messages for him, and he won't tell me what's going on. That's what's driving me mad. I thought at first it was some other woman, but now I don't think it is.
0: Did you enjoy your tea yesterday, madame?
2: Enjoy my tea? What do you mean...? Oh! Yes! You've no idea how exhausting it was, sitting in that little tent, muffled up in all those veils.
0: Now, you were searching for something a moment ago, were you not? Was it, by any chance, this little gold charm?
1: Yes, it was. Where did you
0: find it? It was just here, in this crack in the floor. I I must have dropped it sometime or other. Yesterday, perhaps.
2: Oh, no. No, it must have been before that.
0: But surely, madame, I saw it on your bracelet when you were telling my fortune.
2: I don't really remember. I only noticed it was missing this morning. Ah.
0: Then I am happy to be able to restore it to you.
2: Well, thank you, monsieur Poirot. Thank you very much. And now I really must go. Goodbye.
0: Oh, no, madame. You did not go to the tea tent yesterday afternoon. You came here to meet someone. "'halfway between Nass and the boathouse. "'And here, perhaps, is the person you came here to meet.' "'But it was not her lover. "'It was her husband, Alec Legg. "'I concealed myself behind one of the arches of the folly, "'but he was too impatient and distracted to notice me. "'He took one look around him and rushed off the way he had come.' Was it the young man in the turtle shirt he had expected to find? And if it was, what had I discovered? Evidence of murder? Or of blackmail?
8: Ah, Monsieur Poirot, I've been looking everywhere for you. The inspector's here and would like you to join him. He's with Sir George in the study.
4: It's her hat, all right. The one she was wearing yesterday at the fête. There's no mistaking it. No one else would wear a hat like that.
10: Where was it found? In the river, about a mile downstream from the quay. It was caught up in the rushes. Doesn't prove
4: a thing, of course. I mean,
10: anybody might have thrown it in. Yes, from the boathouse, perhaps, or, or from the Esperance. I mean,
4: she might be with that D'Souza fellow.
10: Do you think he's kidnapped her? Well, if he has, she's still on board. I've got a couple of men keeping a close eye on the yacht.
4: Well, then why don't you go and search the ruddy thing? I can't think why you haven't done it before.
10: Nothing. Not a single damn thing. Mm. D'Souza welcomed us on board, offered us a drink, opened up all the cabins and the cupboards. He couldn't have been more charming, and I longed to wipe that silly, complacent smile off his face. I suppose it's possible he might have killed her and chucked her body over the side, but I haven't got a scrap of evidence, Monsieur Poirot. No. I'm going to have to let the boat go.
8: I'm afraid you'll be dining on your own this evening, Monsieur Poirot. Oh. Sir George has gone off to Dartmouth. Says he can't bear to spend another night at Nass without Lady Stubbs. And I've got to go and cheer up my old aunt, Newton Abbas.
0: It was perhaps just as well. I was in no mood for company that night. I had been summoned to prevent a murder, and I had not prevented it. And what was most humiliating was that even now I had no idea what had actually happened. The little grey cells had ceased to function. There was nothing more for me to do at Nass House. I resolved to take an early breakfast and return to London. There was a message for you last night, was Poirot? Did you get it? No, I received no message. Do you know what it was, Mr.
13: Weyman? It was a phone call from the old man who runs the ferry at Nass Key, Mr. Merdle? One of the maids took it. I wouldn't have thought the old idiot knew how to make a telephone call. And what was the message? He said he wanted the foreign gentleman, I presume he meant you, to meet him at the pub at Ditcham, as he had something particular to tell you. Obviously, the stupid girl forgot to pass it on.
0: I went down to the quay straight away. A small crowd was gathered near the ferry and an ambulance was driving off.
6: I suppose it was bound to happen sometime or other. I came down here as soon as I heard.
0: What exactly happened, madame?
6: It's old Myrtle. He must have been on his way back from the pub at Ditcham on the other side of the river. He goes there most nights. He fell into the water getting off his boat, I imagine. They've only just found him. He was drunk, of course. He usually was. But it's an unfortunate accident all the same.
0: I knew it was no accident. Old Myrtle had wanted to tell me something, and he had been murdered to keep him silent. But what did he know? What had he seen? Idiot that I was, I could not even begin to imagine...
12: In part three of Agatha Christie's Dead Man's Folly, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat, Sir George Stubbs, Michael Cochrane, Mrs Folliat, Rosalind Knight, Inspector Bland, Simon Treves, Miss Brewis, Liza Sadovy, Sally Leg, Jenny Funnell, Michael Wayman, Dominic Colchester, The Turtle Shirt Man, Jot Davis. Dead Man's Folly is dramatised for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams.
0: The murder hunt which Ariadne Oliver had devised for Sir George Stubbs had resulted in the death of a young girl playing the part of the victim and the mysterious disappearance of Lady Stubbs. And then, on the night before I returned to London the old man who worked a nearby ferry was found drowned.
12: John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and Julia McKenzie as Ariadne Oliver in Agatha Christie's Dead Man's Folly. A month
0: had passed. The police had virtually given up the case and I was as much in the dark as ever. And so, I decided to pay a visit to Ariadne Oliver.
1: So you believe there were three murders?
0: The police have of course decided that old Murdell's death was an accident. But I know better, madame. He was killed because he had a vital piece of information to pass on to Hercule Poirot.
1: And what was it?
0: Alas, I do not know.
1: But it's not too difficult to imagine what it might have been. He was the old man who worked the ferry, wasn't he?
0: Yes, madame, that is so.
1: Then it must have been something to do with the yacht belonging to that cousin of Lady Stubbs. What was his name?
0: Etienne de Souza. Well...
1: I expect the old man saw Lady Stubbs being dragged on board by the crew, but at first he didn't realise who it was, and it was only when he heard she was missing mm-hmm.
0: that... Is possible, I suppose, but the police made the most thorough search of the boat.
1: Souza had probably drowned her by then. Ah,
0: what is so strange is that it was almost as if your murder game had called Souza into life. What was the name of the mysterious stranger in the game?
1: Esteban Loyola. But he wasn't my
0: idea. Ah, then whose idea was he?
1: (sighs) That's just the trouble. As I've told you before, I haven't got the faintest Ah. idea. It's it's as if a great cloud had descended on my mind. And now I've I've got this talk on how I write my books. I can't imagine why everybody is so keen for writers to talk about writing. I should have thought it was
0: a writer's business to write, not talk. Mm. What I do not understand is why De Souza should have insisted that he wrote to Lady Stubbs at least three weeks before his arrival, telling her he would be coming to see her at Nass.
1: Where did he say he sent the letter from?
0: Oh, from somewhere in France. Then well,
1: there's no mystery about it at all. Letters never get through from France. People are always telling me they've sent me postcards, but I never receive any of mm-hmm.
0: them. And it is possible, I suppose... So-
1: What do you think has happened to Lady
0: Stubbs? I very much fear she is dead.
1: And you've no idea who the murderer is? Mm,
0: It pains me to have to admit it.
1: But why not? It's nearly a month since she disappeared, and what are you doing about it? Up to now, you don't seem to have done anything.
0: I have discovered one thing. You know the little summer house just behind the tent where Mrs. Legg told Fortunes?
1: Yes. As a matter of fact, when Sir George didn't want the body to be found in the folly, I thought that summer house would be just the place. But everyone insisted it had to be the boathouse.
0: I found something there that might be of significance. On the floor, there is a round, irregular mark in the dust.
1: A round, irregular mark?
0: Yes, madame. As if something had been deposited there and then taken away.
1: And do you think that is significant?
0: Yes, I do. Ah! Oh,
1: I've just remembered something. Yes, madame? It was your mentioning Sally Legg. She was the person who suggested the atom scientist. Why not have a nuclear physicist as the chief suspect, she said, and make it really up-to-date? And if I needed any expert advice, I could always ask her husband.
0: Why her husband?
1: Because he is one.
0: Huh? Alec Legg is a nuclear physicist?
1: Yes! Is that significant too? It may be. So what are you going to do now?
0: I shall return to Nass. Oh,
1: to have another look at the mark in the dust in the summer house.
0: No, madame. I am going to find the murderer. Ah,
14: yeah. oh, well. If it isn't the celebrated Hercule Poirot, I thought you'd thrown in the towel and gone home.
0: Yes, Mr. Legg, I did go back to London, but as you see, I have returned.
14: Yeah. You're lucky to have caught me. I'm packing up. Sally's cleared out and left me. But I expect you know that.
0: No, I did not know that.
14: Really? I'm glad there's something the great detective doesn't know. Sally's had enough of married life. She's throwing in her lot with that tame architect of Sir George's.
0: With Michael Wayman? I'm sorry to hear that.
14: Why should you be sorry about it?
0: Because I do not think she will be as happy with him as she would be with you.
14: She's been as miserable as sin for the last six months.
0: Six months is not a lifetime, Mr. Lake. And if your wife has not been happy, it is probably more your fault than hers.
14: What the devil do you mean by that? I
0: mean, Mr. Lake, that you have been so preoccupied with your own troubles, you have hardly noticed what she is feeling. What do you know about my troubles? Mm, I know that some years ago you had strong sympathies with a certain political party. Many young men like you did. But that party had affiliations with a major power not sympathetically disposed towards the West. And, as an atomic researcher, you were of great interest to them. I do not think you were seriously compromised, but I suspect that pressure was put on you to consolidate your position by passing on certain information. Go on. You tried to withdraw, and you were faced with a threat. Someone was sent here to talk to you. I do not know his name. I shall simply refer to him as the young man in the turtle shirt.
14: (laughs) Yes, I suppose that shirt was a bit of a joke my sense of humour wasn't very active at the time. At first
0: I thought you or the young man, or perhaps both of you, must somehow be connected with the death of the girl in the boathouse. But when I learned your profession,
14: everything fell into place. i <sighs> had certainly landed myself in a very tricky situation, but I made it pretty clear to Comrade Turtle Shirt there was nothing doing. But
0: why did you not confide in your wife? She is, I believe, a woman capable of great loyalty, and if she had realised how unhappy and desperate you were, she would have given you all her sympathy, instead of which she began to compare you unfavourably with her former friend Michael Wayman.
14: Yes, she certainly teared up a lot when
0: he came on the scene. So, now you should stop feeling sorry for yourself and go to London. Tell your wife all you have been through and ask her to forgive you.
14: What business is it of yours? You're supposed to be a detective.
0: Oh, ho, ho. I am much more than a detective, Mr. Legg. and what is more, I am always right.
14: <laughs> well, then I'll do just as you say. Divorce is damned expensive, and if you've got hold of the woman you want and can't keep her, it's pretty humiliating. Yeah. I shall go up to Sally's flat in Chelsea. If I find Michael Wayman there, I shall take hold of that hand-knitted tie he wears and throttle the life out of him. Thanks a lot, Monsieur Poirot.
0: I walked back along the riverbank until I came to the boathouse. The pathetic pile of comics and magazines with which Marlene Tucker had occupied her last hours on earth remained on the table. She had scribbled over them in her large, childish hand. I saw Peter kissing Biddy in the woods. Wendy gropes Albert at the pictures. So, Marlene had snooped on people, and on one occasion, perhaps, she had discovered something that resulted in her being killed. But what was it?
15: I've seen you before. You're with the police, aren't you?
0: Not exactly, Mrs. Tucker. My name is Hercule Poirot, and I am a private detective. I find myself once more in this part of the world, and I have called to do what I should have done before, to offer my condolences for the death of your daughter.
15: You'd better come in, then, and kindly wipe your feet on the doormat. Please, take a seat, Mr... Marilyn, move yourself off there and let the gentleman sit down. All right, Mum. This is Marilyn, Marlene's sister.
0: How do you do, Marilyn?
5: Very well, sir, and thank you
15: for asking.
0: I, uh, I may speak in front of the child?
15: About poor Marlene? Oh, yes, sir.
0: Have you had any news from the police? Have they discovered the murderer of your daughter?
15: Not a word, sir. And it's downright wicked if you ask me. They're spending all their time trying to find out what's become of Lady Stubbs. They seem to have forgotten about poor Marlene altogether.
0: Is there any possibility your daughter might have been acquainted with the person who killed her?
15: She wouldn't know nobody like that, sir.
0: But it might have been somebody she had met in the village. Someone who had given her presents, perhaps.
15: Oh, no, sir. Marlene wouldn't take presents from a stranger. I brought her up better than that.
0: But she might have seen no harm in it. Supposing it had been some nice lady who had taken an interest in her.
15: Mrs Legg gave her a lipstick once.
0: Did she give her anything else?
15: Yes, there was a scarf. Shabby sort of thing, not good quality, but Marlene loved it. I was a bit sharp with her about it, and I regretted that afterwards with her gone in that terrible way. We seem to have had nothing but troubles and funerals lately, but they say troubles never come singly, don't they?
0: You have had other losses then, Mrs
15: Tucker? My father, sir came across the river in his boat from the three dogs late at night after he'd had a bit too much. He lost his foot in getting onto the quay and fell in and drowned.
0: You're speaking of Mr. Myrtle?
15: That's right, sir.
0: And he was your father?
15: Of course he was. He used to look after the boats for Squire Folliot and my eldest brother was gardener up at the house. There's been Myrtles at Nass for years and years.
0: There'll always be Folliots at Nass.
15: I beg your pardon, sir?
0: I was repeating what your father said to me down at the ferry on the first day I came here.
15: He talked a lot of nonsense, Father did. I I had to shut him up pretty sharp now and then. You shouldn't pay no attention to what he told you, sir.
0: No, no, no. Of course not. Well, once more, I tender my condolences both on the death of your daughter and of your father.
15: It's very kind of you to come and see me, sir. I appreciate it.
0: Why did I not realize that murder was the girl's grandfather? Oh, I have been foolish. Very foolish. And not for the first time. I have been looking at everything the wrong way round. Hey, mister! Yes, what is it? Come
5: here. I've got something to tell you.
0: What have you to tell me, Marilyn?
5: That scarf Marlene had... She didn't get it from the lady down at the cottage.
0: Then where did she get it?
5: She bought it in Torquay. And some lipstick, too. And some scent. She used to go to the toilet by the bus stop and do herself up when she went to the pictures. She wanted the boys to fancy her, but they never did.
0: And your mother knew nothing about this?
5: No, she'd no idea. Marlene kept them at the back of her knicker drawer. I've got them now.
0: So? where did marlene get the money from i don't know oh i think you do
5: no i've no idea honest
0: i believe there is a new shade of lipstick called carmine kiss
5: yes one of the girls at school uses it
0: now you can have it too
5: marlene used to snoop about a bit and grandfather told her things She got to know about all kinds of goings-on, and Marlene would promise not to tell, and they'd give her presents. She kept her eyes open, did Marlene. And look where it got her.
1: Ariadne Oliver?
0: Ah, chère madame, it is Hercule Poirot. I trust I'm not disturbing you?
1: Oh, no, not at all. I was just trying on a hat for my talk. Just a second while I take it off. Oh, there, I do so hate hats. People don't wear them for sensible reasons any more for keeping one's head warm or shielding one from the sun or hiding one's face from people one doesn't want
0: to meet. Tiens, yeah, you are like my friend Hastings. Always you give me ideas. You have provided me with a truly invaluable clue... But I wanted to ask you something.
1: Yes, what is it? We
0: were talking the other day of people who might have suggested ideas to you for the scenario of your murder hunt. Is there any possibility that one of them could have been Lady Stubbs? Lady Stubbs?
1: Yes. Come to think of it, she did say something to me in that silly little girl voice of hers. She thought that Michael...
0: The first wife of the atom scientist... Yes,
1: she said... Couldn't she be like one of those girls from the hostel? An Italian or Yugoslavian or something like that? And then she said, no, that can't be right.
0: What was it, madame?
1: I have a sort of vague recollection that the mysterious stranger might have been her idea. No, I must have got that wrong. After all, she couldn't possibly have known about that D'Souza person coming... Or was it just a coincidence? Anyway, it
0: doesn't make sense. Oh, yes, madame, it makes sense. Where are you, anyway? I am back in Devon, madame, staying in a little hotel in Torquay, awaiting the arrival of a report from the invaluable Mr. Goby.
1: Oh, that private investigator of yours. You mean you're actually doing something at last. Have you come up with a solution to the
0: mystery? I believe I may have done, madame. Your help has been most valuable. I hope that your talk and your hat both prove to be a great success.
6: Monsieur Poirot, I thought you'd gone back to London for good. What has brought you here?
0: I have come to see you, madame, and I think you can guess the reason.
6: Then you had better come in. Thank you. Please sit down. Do I really have to listen to you? I'm very tired.
0: Yes, Mrs. Foyard, you do have to listen to me. There have been three murders. Hattie Stubbs, Marlene Tucker and old Myrtle.
6: But Myrtle's death was an accident. Everyone said so, even the police. But
0: I did not say so. Myrtle was killed... Because he knew too much.
6: What did he know or tell you that he knew? He
0: recognized a face, perhaps, or a way of walking or a voice. I met him down at the quay and he told me about all the Folliettes, about your husband and your two sons who were killed in the war. Only they were not both killed, were they? Your son Henry went down with his ship, but your second son James... Deserted. Oh. He was reported missing, but you told everyone he had been killed in action, fighting in northern Italy.
12: Oh, what
6: would you have me do? I had no illusions about James, but he was my son and I loved him. And when eventually he made his way back to England, I had to create a new life for him.
0: And the means was there to hand. you had charge of a young orphaned girl, Hattie, a little simple-minded perhaps, but very attractive... You pretended her parents had lost everything in the earthquake which killed them, but the real facts were not hard to come by. She had, in fact, inherited a considerable fortune, more than enough to set up your son very comfortably.
6: I believed I was creating a new life for Hattie, where she would be secure and cared for. You
0: told everyone you had found a rich husband for her, Sir George Stubbs, a wealthy industrialist... But Sir George was your son James, and his wealth was the fortune Hattie would bring to him, and with it he was able to buy back Nass' house.
6: Yes, Nass was restored to us, and James was back where he belonged.
0: That was what Myrtle meant by there'll always be folly at Nass. Why was it he was the only one to recognize your son?
6: James hadn't lived at Nass since he was a boy. He'd been out in Kenya. There was no one left in the house who knew him.
0: And so you believed that all had turned out for the best?
6: Yes, Monsieur Poirot, I did. It never crossed my mind that...
0: That your son was already married. Married to Katerina Sarkovitch a young girl from the criminal underworld of Trieste who had found a hiding place for him after he deserted.
6: He wouldn't give her up, and she was certainly
0: not going to let him out of her clutches. He had married Hattie for the sake of her money, but he knew all along what he intended to do.
6: No, it wasn't like that. It was that woman. She He
0: murdered Hattie on the night he brought her to Nass and buried her body in the woods where a clump of oak trees had been torn up by the storm. And the woman Sir George presented to the household the following morning was Katarina. dressed in Hattie's clothes and behaving as Hattie behaved. And there it might all have ended.
6: It is stifling in here. Let us go into the garden. I need to breathe the evening air.
0: Did you know Etienne de Sousa when you were in the West Indies, madame?
6: No. He was before my time there, but he hadn't seen Hattie since she was a young girl.
0: Even so, he would have realized immediately that the woman playing the part of Lady Stubbs was not Hattie. And so the girl who had stolen her identity had no alternative but to disappear.
6: I think she welcomed it. Katerina had always led a life of danger. She was bored with the part she'd been playing at Nass for nearly two years... That was why she took to encouraging any likable young man, like Michael Wayman, who came into her orbit. She was desperate to get away. But why did she have to kill that poor, silly girl? What purpose did it serve? Uh,
0: Marlene Tucker was becoming too much of a risk. She had listened attentively to her old grandfather telling his drunken stories of seeing a body in the woods and of Sir George really being Sir James. I don't think she really understood any of it, but she discovered she could extract small sums of money from Sir George. So she had to be silenced.
6: The poor, silly girl.
0: There was ample time for the pair of them to work out a plan of action for D'Souza had written several weeks before, telling them of his visit to England. Marlene would be murdered, and Caterina would mysteriously vanish on the day on which D'Souza was expected to arrive at Nass. The day of the fete.
6: They wanted to throw suspicion onto him, of course.
0: Caterina planned to disappear by resuming her real identity, a girl from Trieste, as a disguise. On the evening before the fete, She made an excuse to slip away early.
7: I'm very sleepy. I'm going to bed. You don't mind, do you, George?
0: But in fact, she left Nas. Miss Broyce actually saw her and spent the night at the hostel making friends with the girls there and crept into the house early in the morning in time to put in an appearance at the breakfast table.
7: I've had a letter from Etienne. He says he's arriving here today in his yacht... I don't want to see him. I'm afraid of him. He does bad things.
0: After breakfast, she changed into her hitchhiker's costume, shorts and an open-neck shirt, with a little row of false chestnut curls under her peasant scarf, and uh, it was an extraordinary act of bravado, actually appeared in the garden and carried on an argument with Sir George.
7: Belisa, is this the way to Nescombe Key?
0: It was typical of her, of course.
6: She had a natural appetite for danger.
0: Was that what led her to turn Ariadne Oliver's murder game into a mirror image of her own situation? The mysterious stranger out of the past, the shadowy first wife disguised as a foreign hitchhiker?
6: Of course. It was her way of thumbing her nose at the world.
0: At the fete, she wore her showy cyclamen dress over her hitchhiker's outfit, and her coolie hat concealed the peasant scarf and the artificial curls. And while she was chattering away to her guests, she was keeping a watchful eye for de Souza's launch coming up the river from Helmuth. And as soon as it came into view...
7: Miss Bruce, the poor girl in the boathouse must be starving. I think you should take her something to eat. A big plate of cream cakes. Why did she do that? It wasn't like
0: her at all. She hoped that it might throw suspicion on Miss Brewer's. It was pure malice. At four o'clock, when she knew that Mrs. Legg would be taking her break, she slipped into the empty fortune-teller's tent and went out through the back to the old summer house where she had deposited her rucksack. She bundled into it her cyclamen dress and her high-heeled shoes and then made straight for the boathouse.
7: Marlene! Marlene! It's Lady Stubbs. Open the door. I've got a surprise for you. Are you enjoying your lovely cream cakes?
0: She strangled the poor girl before she had a chance to cry out. And then... As a farewell gesture to her life as Lady Stubbs, she threw her coolie hat into the river. Within a few minutes, she was back at the fete, joining the girls she had made friends with at the hostel. She was recognised by no one. And after a little while, she made her way down to the road where she hitched a lift to London. She is ruthless
6: and utterly immoral. I've always known that, ever since I first set eyes on her.
0: And when was that?
6: She came back with my son at the end of the war. Huh?
0: He brought her back with him? But did it never occur to you that...
6: He did not tell me that she was his wife.
0: And so you chose not to admit the possibility to yourself because you had already mapped out the future for your son? He was to marry Hattie and to share her very considerable fortune and nothing not even the possibility that he was already married was to be allowed to stand in the way of that.
6: I could not believe that he would have married a woman like that. A criminal from the slums of Trieste. He was a Folliot. And the Folliots have always looked to their heritage.
3: Oh,
0: yes. The Folliots of Naz. Where they had lived for 300 years.
6: I believed that I had made that heritage secure.
0: And you were prepared to sacrifice everything for that. Even Hattie. Whom I believe you sincerely loved. Yes. I loved her. Was it worth that sacrifice? For a dream of the past?
6: No, it wasn't.
0: Do you hear that? Madame?
6: Some kind of drilling somewhere? What is it?
0: The police are breaking up the concrete foundations of the folly put up by your son to cover the rough grave where he had buried Hattie's body. The folly of the hereditary owner of Nass' house. So two
6: innocent lives have been sacrificed for nothing. What will happen, Monsieur Poirot?
0: Your son has already been taken into custody. It is only a matter of time before they trace his wife.
6: And I. What will happen to me?
0: It is possible you will be charged as an accessory to murder.
6: Thank you for coming to tell me this yourself, Monsieur Poirot, and not leaving it to the police. I take it I'm free to go where I please...
0: For the present, madame.
6: Then I would like you to leave me now. I want to go back into the house, into Nass, for the last time. What I have to do, I must do alone. I know that you will not try to prevent me.
0: I knew very well what she intended to do. She was the daughter of a long line of brave men who had lived in that house for over 300 years. A year later, Ariadne Oliver published her own account of our adventures, a detective story entitled The Woman in the Wood. It was the most dreadful nonsense. But it sold like wildfire,